our posterity there is prosperity. God seeks a culture and generation willing to bring awareness to the lost, weary, and brokenhearted. Will you shine your faith in the midst of a fallen world as we draw closer to the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? In times of despair and confusion, let us together sound the alarm. Your host, Pablo Azurdia. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And um, I want to just read this story and, and, and just pretty much explain it in segments so that we could be enriched and grasp the notion and the context of what took place in this very miraculous, surreal moment when, when Jesus was able to walk upon the waters and how the disciples reacted to that. But let's read it from verse 22, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, Jesus immediately had the disciples get into a boat and cross to the other side of head of him while he sent the crowd away. Verse 23, after the, dismissing the crowds, he went up on a hillside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Let's uh, begin with the prayer and ask God to speak to us, give us uh, his message and uh, his enlightenment and enrich us in every shape, way, or form of what he has in store for us this very hour. Join me in prayer. Father, Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for allowing us to give you an offering of worship, an offering of praise, an offering of gratitude this evening, Lord. Thank you for everything that has taken place thus far within our lives. Thank you for your love, for your mercy and your grace. They are always new and unconditional each day, Father. Thank you for allowing us to get together under these circumstances to connect with you, Father, to strengthen our faith, our gratitude, and also our um, our obedience, Father, to what um, you have in set in store for us, God. Thank you for this moment. Your word says that when two or three are together in one accordance, you are there, Father, and we just want to give you the welcome to this place, Father. Spirit of God, may you glorify the Son this night, this evening, Lord, and all glory and honor goes to him, Father. We attribute your name, Jesus Christ, and the virtual church says, Amen. So, brothers and sisters, I want to speak to you about um, the passage and where where the narrative begins in Christ sending out his disciples ahead of him and then catching up to him late, catching up to them later at a different hour and time. Um, and as you know, the story, I mean, this, 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 this passage, the, the text itself has been, has been taught, has been mentioned, has been preached in so many occasions, but nevertheless, it's always a reminder to us, to the church, to always walk on faith and not by sight. And in verse 22, when Jesus goes and sends out his disciples to, to the other side, um, and the method of transportation is to use the boat to get there perhaps even uh, faster and quicker, um, before this event takes place, as you recall, the, uh, the various verses beforehand talk about the or, or, or reveals to us how the how the miracle takes place of, of, of the five breads, the loaf of breads and the two uh, uh, fishes that the Lord used to feed 5000 people. And so after the people were were after their hunger was satisfied and. And they were nourished. They they wanted to proclaim him king and and um, pretty much just give him that position of power amongst the people that he was able to feed and accommodate. And as you know, Christ just shunned away from them and dismissed the multitudes after that miracle takes place. And so in verse 22, we then now see again, join me. Jesus immediately tells his disciples to get on a boat and cross to the other side ahead of him while he sent the crowns away. Um, something that I want to just add upon that, I believe that while the disciples were, were 
engaged with Jesus and his ministry and were eyewitnesses of the accounts that took place just to serve just to serve along, alongside the Lord and just think about this for a second just to serve alongside with the Lord what a privilege that was um, how rewarding that felt to the disciples knowing that they were serving their Lord serving Christ serving Jesus the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and and be giving that great virtue to just you know see him from a distance or distance or to have him up and close to you what a what a privilege that you know in itself it was for these disciples and and I'm sure that throughout the three years and a half with 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 Jesus with them I'm sure they got accustomed to to that type of lifestyle like uh, having their teacher, having not just the rabbi, but having their Lord with them on a daily basis, it, it became a, a habit, became just part of their lifestyle as Jesus was teaching his disciples how to how to how to strengthen their faith and their obedience as uh, as he walked with them in his early ministry. But now in verse 22, we we see the Lord giving an explicit instruction to tell uh, and telling his disciples, I want all of you to go ahead of me first. And maybe when, when the disciples heard that and, 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 and just looked at each other, I'm sure there was not the common reaction that, that most of them had um, knowing that the tendency was to, to walk alongside the Lord, wherever he goes, I go wherever he he decides to, in whatever direction he wants to go, we're, we're there neck and neck with him. And I'm sure when the disciples um, took notice of, of that order of, as, of of hearing the Lord telling them, you guys go ahead of me, I'll catch up to you on. I'm sure it became a, became a question for them that perhaps turned out to be challenging, turned out to be maybe sporadic for them some of them wanted to to know the motives the reasons of it but nevertheless the the narrative the story goes on in, in verse 23 and and states the following after dismissing the crowds he went up on a hillside by himself to pray say with me by himself to pray um friend reminder brothers and sisters and in our walk with god in prayer and perhaps some of you might 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 say that it's it's a cliche it's it's an overrated statement and perhaps you've heard it in so many in so many events in so many moments uh in in life whatever the case may be but you know prayer itself shouldn't be taken something so lightly so hastily it needs to be part of our routine it needs to be part of our of rhythm in life of our dialogue with with the lord and and we see how Christ sets the tone or sets the example for all for all believers, for the church, for all of us, in which, you know, his motive to ask the disciples to go ahead of him is the fact that he needed some he needed some intimate time with the Father. And, and we see that intimacy take place in, in many venues, in, in many uh scenarios, settings as we read the gospels and, and and I just want to just bring that up to you tonight, this evening, that prayer shouldn't be something that we should just take it so lightly and hastily or so loosely. Something that that if someone reminds you, or in this case, uh, by, by me reminding the church and even to myself, should be something rewarding, should be something in which we should rise up to the occasion and never forget that our tank, our spiritual tank needs to be fueled consistently as for example, when when you take your vehicle to to the gas station, I mean, once you see the the little red light turn on, it's time to refuel the tank. It's time to add some gas into it. And so same principle applies to us every day or every yeah, every moment we just have to just refill and nourish our spirit, nourish our dialogue with God so that so that as we continue towards the course of life and whatever life throws at us we'll, we'll be ready to persevere we'll be ready to endure we'll be we'll be ready to to prevail against any hurdles 
obstacles, whatever the case may be, but we'll be able to move forward and advance into our purpose with Christ. And so verse 23 says, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on a hillside by himself to pray. When when evening came, he was there alone. Now, I like the words, the, the, the last three words, he was there alone. You know, sometimes loneliness, people don't, it's not their first choice. Um, sometimes people fear to be left alone, fear to be in an isolated situation, not just physically, but even mentally and, and spiritually. And, and that could be an obstacle for many for many people in today's time. But, you know, don't don't be alarmed. Don't don't let that discourage you. Don't let that get the best out of you. And, and don't let fear become a point of influence if you happen to be in a scenario which is just you and the Lord. I think that those are the moments where we have to uh, grasp and take advantage of that of that circumstance where only the Lord is there giving you his undivided attention. But what do we need to do is speak up, is express ourselves. Um, sometimes when we when we when we when we mention the word prayer, we we automatically at times associate it as a as a formality, as a follow-up, as a that there's some type of guideline, some type of um, some type of way of uh, engaging in prayer. And to a certain extent, there is we 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 see the the famous prayer in in Luke chapter, I believe it's Luke chapter eleven, and then there's there's Matthew as well, Matthew chapter ten. I'm not mistaken, the famous prayer in which which Christ conducts to his followers. But sometimes we associated that it has to be according to this format, according to this setting, and 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 you can deviate from that. No, prayer, it's where you open yourself up completely to God. You are who you are in front of him. You're not finishing to be something that you are not. You're not pretending to sh- to, uh, to portray an image that, that doesn't add up to who you really are. And so in the presence of God, come to him just as you are, unfiltered, raw, just, just be real with the Lord. And that itself will be, will be a, a, a virtue that the Lord will attribute greatly uh, in, in his relationship with you. And so we see Christ again being there alone and and being obviously the the word made into flesh. I could just imagine the the types of conversations, the type of expression and dialogue that he would have with the Father and and as a matter of fact, if you really want to be be um behind the scenes and really just uh um understand how Christ expressed himself with the Father, you might want to look into, look into, I believe in John, it's in John chapter 20 or something around there. Um, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, as you know, he was in a very pivotal state, afflicted in, in his spirits and his soul. But there's a dialogue that takes place there that that is reported by John and how the Lord expressed himself with the Father and during that agonized state that he was going through before he gave his his life to mankind on upon upon the cross on Calvary, and so you may want to at a later time read that chapter, and it gives you uh, gives you an insight how how Christ expressed himself to the Father during his last final hours before being the the atonement for for mankind. And so going back, we I just want to just you know close the parentheses and say to you this 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 very hour, don't don't fear whatsoever. If time, if life presents itself where it's just you and there aren't any other variables or people around you, it's okay. It's okay. And high you know, in essence, you're not really alone. We are never alone. I believe the, to truly be alone is to really be absent from the presence of God. If you are away from the presence of God, if the Lord is not there, then truly you are alone. For example, Cain, Cain shunned, ran away from the presence of God after committing that atrocity towards his, his own flesh and blood brother. And so, you know, you're not, 
don't allow yourself to get to that point, nor should the mind make you assume that you're there. No, the Lord is there with you 24-7, every day of the week. Now, going back, verse 24. Now, this is the part where it gets interesting because the dialogue now brings us to, to, to the setting where the disciples have not have now obeyed the Lord, have followed instructions, they're on a boat, but there are things that are occurring in that very moment in time. And this took place somewhere between most most um, historians believe, uh, theologians believe this took place somewhere between three to six in the morning before dawn, before the break of uh, the break of light. Verse 24 says, by this time, the boat was in the middle of the sea and was being battered by waves because the wind was against them. Now, there are two factors I want to address to you uh, this very hour. Two things, very important things. One is the Lord sends them off. And as as they are sent off, knowing that they are grouped together, um, it's funny that I wouldn't be surprised if the disciples, knowing that they were all together, I'm sure they kind of felt maybe a sense of loneliness, but it was something in which the Lord allowed and even challenged his disciples to see of what type of caliber and resilient faith uh, they possess, just to see what type of people they really are, and to see at what level their convictions, their obedience, and and the depth of their trust is within God. As I've mentioned many occasions, in order to to know if someone loves you or not, it's when love is put into the test. When their love is put into the test, that's when it's going to reveal what up what type of love they have for this particular person or whatever the situation may be. And so in verse 24, we see that they are being sent away. They are grouped together, but obviously they're they're missing their actual piece, the main link that sustains the group together, and that is Jesus. And in the absence of Jesus, two um, scenarios or two hurdles are presented to the disciples. One is that the boat is being tossed left and right or battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Say with me, waves and wind. You know, when, when the Lord sends us out, when the Lord gives us the task, when we are commissioned to do the things of God, we have to acknowledge the following, that as we, uh, as we, as we take that decision and as we act upon that obedience, we have to be aware that there will be times where the opposition will rise against us. There will be times where perhaps the odds might look very, very uh, far from uh, from us. And we might just assume or speculate that things aren't going to go according to plan. You know, life in general throws things at us, brothers and sisters. There are things that are supposedly out of our control. And to a certain degree, yes, they are. But in the eyes of God, they are not. The Lord has foreseen our future. The Lord has foreseen what's going to come about within our lives. God is sovereign. God knows everything. God is omniscient. And he has measured every possible outcome, every possible decision that we might take towards our future. But in this case, we see that a challenge a situation has arise not in favor for the disciples, but against them. And it says that the wave battered the boat because the winds were just not in favor towards them. And in life, we see how the wind tends to tends to throw at things at us unexpectedly, tends to throw things that that we were not prepared for, things that perhaps never did it come across our mind that this situation was going to happen, that this outcome was going to emerge. You know, we, we, we always picture the worst of things and we, and we reference those things towards others. 
but never do we assume it's going to happen to us. And that's why you you see a lot of people um, trying to trying to, to to protect themselves. And what I mean by protection, I'm talking about probably getting life insurance, getting some type of coverage, um, getting some type of you could say safety net that if something were to occur within my family, occur within my life uh, uh, specifically, you know, I want to make sure that there's a safety net, that there's a follow up and that my my loved ones and my spouse and everyone around me are taken care of. And that is why we have those type of insurances and policies out there so that so that life doesn't uh, catch us off guard. But in this case, the disciples weren't expecting for for high winds or for for the waves to be that aggressive that night. But the, the but it turns out that it was. It turns out that the situation just got aggressive. And and that's when their faith was put into the test. That's where their faith was being challenged. And sometimes when life uh, throws difficult things at us, you know, our natural reaction is just our natural reaction tends to be it tends to feel insecurities, uh, tends to doubt certain things. I mean, humanly speaking, we are prone to react that way. But I'm not trying to I'm not trying to justify that that should be the method or the approach in which we should react. I'm just saying by instinct alone, that's just a normal reaction that we that we feel at times. Why? Because we're, we're humans. I mean, the Lord knows exactly our, our condition, our situation at hand, but this very moment, this is where the disciples had to rise to the occasion. This is where the disciples had enough time to reflect on all the miracles on all the wonders, all the things that were humanly impossible to do, but were possible with the one that was with them, in this case, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, having that reference and having that that significant amount of time walking with the Lord, eventually the day and the hour of, of testing will come. The day and the hour will present itself to see at what level their faith is within his followers, his disciples. So I wouldn't imagine, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Jesus deliberately, intentionally, you know, decided to send his disciples ahead of him because he wanted to make sure or wanted to see from himself at what level of faith each disciple is in. And so, you know, how beautiful it is to walk with Jesus, how, how beautiful it is to engage and, and with him and, and to be eyewitnesses of all these amazing accounts that Jesus performed in front of their very own eyes. How, you know, what, what beautiful things to treasure during those times. And all that at the end of the day, it's, it's going to, it's going to be used as a reference point when the day of trial or the day of quote unquote testing comes into our lives. And so verse 24 was the day that maybe some of them didn't expect it, but that was the day for them. For example, this, this kind of reminds me very briefly when, uh, for those who still remember their high school days or college days or university, um, when the professor and all of a sudden, in an unexpected day, unexpected hour, he this he tells the students, "Well, uh, students, we're about to take a pop quiz." And what's the reaction that most students take? You know, we're we're all in the state of suspense. We're all just looking at each other and and asking, "What's going on? What is this? What's the motive of this?" And then the feeling of, "Am I prepared, or am I not?" And so, just imagine verse twenty four being a, a pop quiz where maybe Jesus even told the wind again. I'm just speculating here. The Bible doesn't say it, but I just want to speculate the folly. Maybe the Lord told, told, um, told the, told the winds to, to kind of just, you know, kind of just alter a bit the momentum of the waters. And, and let me just, let me see, you know, at what level of faith my followers are in. So going on, it says by this time, the boat was in the middle of the sea. It was being battered by the waves because the wind was getting 
against them. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. You know, it's not to, it's, it's not to my surprise that the Lord knew exactly at what hour he had to arrive. He knew at what, at what point in time, somewhere between 3 in the morning and 6 a.m. before dawn, he knew exactly at what point he had to make himself known before his followers got hysterical, before his followers just, you know, turned chaotic and helplessless. And so the Bible says, shortly before dawn, verse 25, Jesus came to them walking on the sea now let's pay attention to the following verse because there's some details here that will resonate deeply in your hearts this evening verse 26 when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were terrified that's the number one uh, the number one thing that the lord detected the minute that he had contact with them they were terrified one is one is, has to do with the winds, with the rough waves. And thirdly, they cried out loud saying, hey, we are seeing a ghost. We are seeing something that just appeared out of these treacherous waters, something out of nowhere. And that human reaction, I come back again to that point, that human reaction just terrified all of them completely. And they screamed in terror. Brothers and sisters, when, when, when I read verse 26, I see how ordinary people who became extraordinary men that were used tremendously, that were used just amazing in their time with God. You know, I just read in verse 26, just ordinary people like you and I who who deal with certain uh, who deal with human emotions who deal with just human imbalances human reactions that that are just common amongst uh, amongst us as human beings you know sometimes when we when we talk about about certain men and women of god servants of god and and again i'm not i'm not here to discredit or to bring down less what they are no that's what we are servants of the Lord saves, of the Lord slays out of love for Christ. But, you know, on top of all those labels and all those categories that we tend to hear at times, at the end of the day, we are also made of flesh and blood. And there are areas within us that even to this day, we, 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 we continue to place them in the hands of God and ask the Lord to, 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 to restore those areas, to strengthen those areas, to help us overcome those areas. Because sometimes there's the false notion that most servants of, of, of the Lord are, are superhumans, superheroes. And the truth is we are not. We are not superheroes. We are not above human beings. And, and that is why I love that passage in Hebrews chapter 12 and on that says, set your gaze, set your eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the perfecter of our faith or finisher of our faith. I'll say it in Spanish. Pon la mirada en Jesús, el autor y perfeccionador de nuestra fe, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the true hero. He is the one in which we could rely on completely and know that we will never fall short or come short from him. Whenever what he begins, he we are able to finish the job holding on to Christ. And, and that is why our gaze has to be on him. Now, I understand there are certain admiration, respect, or um, maybe iconic figures that people look up to. That's 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 fine and dandy to a certain degree, but everyone, everyone who lives, who is an inhabitant of planet Earth, of the human race, somewhere in our in our intimate life, somewhere where perhaps the public doesn't see or hasn't taken notice, there are areas of weaknesses areas of vulnerabilities 
if I were just to, to mention the many that I have, <laughs> oh man, perhaps you'll be surprised. But I don't need to mention them. I just I just dis, I just disclose them to the Lord and, and then the Lord helps me to overcome and cope with them and to and to come out victorious from those areas of weaknesses. For example, the, the Apostle Paul, someone that we aspire tremendously, the author of pretty much the majority of the the, the letters of the New Testament in the Bible, even the Apostle Paul had a weakness. He had a he had a thorn. The Bible says he had a thorn in his flesh, uh, a weak point. And though he did so many miracles and many wonders and miraculous events took place with him, even being bitten by a serpent, didn't die from the bites of or the venom that was there in the serpent. I mean, the Lord took care of this man and many people just attribute the wisdom and the knowledge that he received from the Holy Spirit, even when he was in the uh, within the Jerusalem council and, and being recognized, being recognized amongst the Pharisees, even the man itself had a had a thorn in his flesh. And Paul doesn't mention exactly what type of thorn that was, but we know it was a weak point. It was an area of vulnerability. But as Paul dealt with that, as he, as he tried to find the way to yank out that thorn to say, the Lord told, him, the Lord expressed the following to him, Paul, you know, my grace is sufficient. Those were his words. My grace is sufficient. In the areas of your weakness, I will be glorified. And I believe, brothers and sisters, you and I, in the areas that we that we stumble upon, the areas that we still are trying to overcome, in those areas, sooner or later, the Lord will be glorified. And take that as a fact, not because I say it, but because I see in Scripture and I want to remind the church tonight that his grace, the Lord's grace, is sufficient for us. Because in the midst of our weaknesses, we shall be strengthened. We shall be overcomers. We shall be, we shall triumph over our situations and things that that we've hoped with for so many years. And so going back verse 26, I don't want to sidetrack myself, but the reaction was. The first reaction for the disciples, they were terrified. They thought they saw ghosts, and on top of the ghosts, I mean, the winds were against them, and the waters were just tossing them left and right, and they screamed in terror. See, when someone screams in terror, it's because it's not just a reaction of that moment, but even it's uh, it's an expression of saying, I've lost control. It's an expression of saying, I, I have nowhere else to go, nowhere else to do, and so when people scream and fears because in their mind in their hearts they assume or think that they have lost control of the situation but then jesus christ in verse 27 tells them in the midst of their terror in the midst of their fear in the midst of their agonizing state jesus declares in verse 27 have courage sit with me tonight let's have courage if your spouse is next to you, a family member is with you, anyone just next to you, whether you're watching this in the living room and in the kitchen table, wherever you're at, just tell that person, have courage. Jesus tell his, told his disciples, have courage. Jesus immediately told them, it's me. Stop being afraid. You know, it's, it's amazing because whatever the, whatever the, the reaction you and I might have today or, or or we've been having throughout the days and weeks, whatever those reactions are, the way how Jesus sees them are contrary to what we are feeling. So whatever you are feeling, and if that feeling is not bringing peace, comfort, security, assertiveness, conviction in you, well, contrary to that, you know, Jesus is not sympathizing with with your feelings. No, Jesus is is telling you if you're if you're if you're frightful, I feel that the Lord tells you I I'm I'm feeling 
bravery in you. If you're if you're if you're feeling insecure, then the Lord's saying, "No, you are an assertive individual with true convictions in you." And so, contrary to what we are feeling, we know that for the Lord, it's completely opposite. So, you know, Jesus tells these frightful followers of His that have been walking with with Him for quite some time, "Have courage." In other words, saying, "Don't forget what I instilled in you." Don't forget what I ministered in you. And sometimes, let me ask the following. It's amazing how much word we all have heard throughout the year, throughout the years, how much word and revelation and knowledge and, and spiritual nourishment that has enriched us throughout the years. When, when, when something emerges sporadically in our lives, Sometimes everything that we have received and everything that we have treasured, sometimes fear tends to wash that all away. And that's what happened with the disciples. Just think about this for a second. The disciples had witnessed how, how five loaves of bread and, and two fishes were able to multiply. I mean, just just think the just let's just have some logical consistency here. They witnessed the accounts. They were eyewitnesses. They saw how the abundance took place to feed 5,000 people. And that's not including children as well. And they also witnessed miracles in front of their eyes and how the Lord was able to just perform things that were not typical. In everyday life in Jerusalem with the, the people of Israel of the first century. And for them to, to see somebody just walk upon the water. Just think for a second. You know, after having all that reference of the past. And to see someone walk upon the waters. Knowing that Jesus was absent among the disciples. You would connect the puzzles. Maybe you would believe. One plus one equals two, right? You, they were, they probably would have assumed, or they probably would have taken a good guess, saying, "Well, since we see, since we have seen firsthand these, you know, miracles, these account accounts taking place, they would assume that okay, the person from from a certain distance should be Jesus, because no one else has no one else." has performed these miracles in these last couple of years, the way how the Lord has done it. But in this case, they thought he was a ghost. They thought that he was, it was just an anonymous being that showed up and they became frightful. And that's what fear does at times. Fear takes away or tries to take away everything, everything that has prepared you for that moment. But when fear tries to take that away from you, that's when we as a church need to rise up with encouragement and say, no, I'm not going to allow fear uh, wash away everything that prepared me for this moment in time, for this very hour. And that's where Jesus again tells them, tells his disciples, have courage. It's me. Stop being afraid. And then there was out of out of 12, there was one that took courage or that took it a bit more than normal. Peter, say with me, Peter. Verse 28 says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. You know, Peter is someone that perhaps when it comes to this setting, to what took place in this moment of time, According to the narrative of what we are reading in Matthew chapter 14, you know, Peter really reminds us or should be a symbol uh, uh, of encouragement to one of us. We also see in the Bible when 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 Moses passed away and gave the baton to Joshua, even the Lord revealed to Joshua and says, I want you to be strong and courageous. Take courage, Joshua, to lead the people to uh, past the Jordan River and to the land of Canaan and to the land of what I have set for for my for my inhabitants during that time. 
And so Peter answers with courage and with audacity. And, and, and also he challenges himself. He didn't challenge the Lord. He challenged himself because he went against the, he went against the, the against the, the laws of physics, the laws of nature. And then Jesus gave him the order. If it's you, allow me to come to you on the water. Verse 29 says, Jesus says, come forward or come on. So Peter got down out of the boat and started walking on the water and came to Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing about courage, my brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. When we take courage at heart, when we apply for what it really is, then courage allows us to walk upon the impossibilities of life. You know, courage is not just putting your head up on high and and just keeping your posture, you know, while intact. No, courage is a lifestyle. And if Jesus told his disciples, have courage, Peter was able to then grasp the opportunity saying, well, if, if the Lord is telling me to have courage, then also within my courage, I'm also going to, to, to ask him the following, can I go where you go? And sure enough, Peter took the first couple of steps. Ladies and gentlemen, do not under do not underestimate uh, a courageous spirit because it's going to take you far. It's going to allow you to do. It's going to allow you to do things that probably you weren't able to do or never fathomed to do at one point in your life. Courage is such a beautiful virtue for us to have in, in today's time. And, and, and speaking about courage, and I want to just add a parenthesis here and then close it very shortly. Um, for all of you who have notice of what took place in, in, in our nation, in the United States, the overturn of Roe versus Wade, the whole abortion subject, I applaud the Supreme Court justices who took the courage, the 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 the, the stand to to support life and not death. Now, as you've seen the reaction of people who were for abortion, I mean, it became very chaotic in many cities around our nation and everything. But my respects to those people who took a stand after 50 years making a making a case legal by mistake and also knowing that it was unconstitutional after 50 years, we were able now by the grace of God and by these men, these justices who took courage to say that this is illegal and unconstitutional at the federal state level, my respects because they acted on encouragement. They acted according you know according to the bylaws of the land but just but we can't disregard courage that was something that had to be done for us to be where we are now today and i believe that this month of june maybe june should be reconsidered june should shouldn't be just a month june shouldn't be pride month as we know what that means for the lgbt community june should be a month in which we attribute life we are in favor of life and not in favor of death. And I close my parentheses now with that. And so Peter took courage. For, two, for 2022, we are, we are now already at the halfway mark. The year's not over yet. But this year, I, 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 I invite you and maybe challenge you and all of us this evening to take courage in the things that we know we are capable to do. You'll be surprised how far you will go. If, if Peter was able to, to walk upon the waters, if an average person who, who had a fishing company, a fishing business, and was called unexpectedly by God, by the Lord to follow him, if he was able to witness and to experience such an event of that caliber to walk upon the waters, knowing that it's going against the law of nature and physics. If we apply that same virtue of courage, 
and the Lord authorizes us to to authorizes our courage and the opportunity to strive on it, you'd be surprised what the Lord will be able to do with your life. You'd be surprised how far you could go with the Lord. And so going back, verse 29 says, so Peter got down or got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, say with me, this this year, 2022, I'm going to get closer and closer to Jesus. I'm going to get closer and closer to him. I'm not going to render shorts. I'm not going to fall short whatsoever. I'm not going to allow my mind to or the things around me to compromise me to fall short or to settle for less. I'm not going to allow external factors get get in the middle of my goal, of my destination. 2022 is the year in which as I advance, I'm going to reach my destination. I'm going to get closer to my Lord. I'm going to experience the impossibility. I'm going to experience God's divine um, power upon my life, upon my children, upon my loved ones, my family. You know, I believe I'm, we're, I'm speaking by faith and, and prophesizing by faith that, that, that the best days are still yet to come. And we're going to be participants of those uh, great wonders that God has in store for his people. And so Peter was able to walk. Now, verse 30, let's continue on. Verse 30. But when he noticed the strong wind, he was frightened. Say with me, he was frightened. Brothers and sisters, as our as senior pastor has always said, has always stated this following quote, I don't believe what I see. I believe what I read. You know, it's it's been it's been already mentioned to us that supposedly this nation is going to experience higher inflation, that a great recession is coming pretty soon by the end of this year. The world has the world has started to make these projections of losses and everything that goal that is that is coming to the world. I believe that will come to the world, but we are not of the world. We are not partakers of the world. We are of the kingdom of God. And while and while the world declares and acknowledges losses on their end, I believe the body of Christ, the church, will experience gains, will experience better days to come. For example, when, when the Lord told Moses to send out all the plagues upon Egypt, the plagues were for the Egyptians, for, for, for the government of Egypt. But the plague did not affect the Israelis, the, the people of God, the Hebrew nation. And so I believe that's where we stand today, brothers and sisters. As the world is being frightened, we cannot allow those influences to hinder us to compromise us or to infringe what god has already set in momentum for us while the world is projecting like again you know all these things that that we are seeing today i know for certain the body of christ the church his followers are well protected by the kingdom of heaven. We are secured by God's provision. We are sheltered by God's power. We are guided by God's Holy Spirit. As as there's a passage in, in Romans as uh, Paul declares for for the kingdom of God doesn't consist of only food and beverage or water, but of joy, peace, joy, peace and justice through the Holy Spirit. And so while the world is agonizing and going through difficult times, the church has joy. As the world is feeling a sense of insecurity because their government has failed them, institutions has failed them, we feel peace from God. We have peace 
We have divine protection from the Lord. And as the world uh, experiences injustices, we are experiencing the justice of Jesus Christ. He is, he is the mediator, the only mediator between man, the civilization, and God, the Father, creator of this universe. And so verse 30 again says that when, when Peter took courage, when, when Peter took that initiative, which I have to attribute that to Peter, what a, what a beautiful uh, what a beautiful conviction to walk upon his five senses. But as he was walking and while acquiring that momentum, he then set his eyes upon the winds. He set his, he set his eyes upon the external factors. And that's where we have to be very careful, brothers and sisters. Don't forget where the, where the Lord has rooted you and planted you. Don't forget your roots in God. And, and upon those roots, walk upon that, upon that uh, encouragement. Walk upon that beautiful uh, virtue of empowerment from God. But don't lose momentum of those virtues by setting your eyes on external factors. By setting your eyes on things that could bring depression, insecurity, uh, discouragement, and that could disarray you, derail you from the purpose of God. See, Peter had it going good. He were, Don't ask me how many steps he took upon the waters. We don't know how many steps he took. We just know that he walked upon the waters. But, but here's my point. As, as you, quote unquote, Continue to walk upon the waters. Don't let the external things like strong winds, high tides, uh, strong waves try to dismantle or undermine or condition those virtues that were God given to you. And I'm sure the first, you know, when, when Peter was first experiencing the the high tide and and then the strong wind, I'm sure he... He was able to disregard those external factors for a while, but then it just got to him. It just, you know, his 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 human side just took the best out of Peter, which which is something that we all could relate. Which is something that 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 to this day we are battling day and night. The human side of us, our our the the carnal side of us. And it's an ongoing battle, which I believe down the line, God is going to help us perfect that and overcome those areas of, of doubt and, and disbelief within our lives. So the Bible says that when he saw the strong winds, he was frightened. Fear, fear wants to eradicate the, 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 wants to eradicate the things that you're able to do by the grace of God. Do not let fear take away, you know, your, your empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Do not let fear be a, a driving force to stop you from achieving the end goal with God. It says that Peter was frightened as he began to sink. That's another word. Another, there's another thing I want to mention. It says that he didn't sink immediately. No, he began to sink. He gradually began to descend under the waters. And what does and what does fear do? What does insecurity? What do insecurities do? They gradually try to sink our faith, our convictions, our our you could say our our divine perks that we have with God. Slowly, subtly, fear tries to you know filter his way in in our dialogue with God that if we are not able to detect it immediately down the line it might get to us it might just hinder us very strongly you know fear could be so subtle could be something that that you are not aware of at the moment but if you don't examine yourself on a consistent basis it could get be it could get the best out of you and you want to fall into that condition. And so when fear got to Peter, gradually he began to sink. You don't want to go into that dimension. You don't want to find yourself in that predicament. 
it's not for you. You you were you were called to to hover, to walk upon the waters, even run upon them, but not to gradually sink underneath the waters. But sure enough, that's what happened to Peter. And by the Lord's grace, we see now a level of grace, a measure of grace and mercy that was extended to Peter despite of his descent under the water. As he began to sing, verse 30, he shouted, Lord, save me. And he screamed his lungs out. Yeah, I mean, the waters weren't yet to his nose, his mouth or nose or nose. He was able to scream so loud that we, we even see that in the midst of our of our this unbelief at times, we are still able to see the mighty hand of God and his grace extend us out out of there. Peter acknowledged. He acknowledged that he had no other way out of those waters, had no other way out to, to come out of those, to, to ascend up from the waters. And then verse 31, we see the act of grace, the act of mercy, which is a, which is a loud depiction, a loud uh, picture that we could just, you know, you know, put into our minds and see it so loud and clear. Verse 31 at once, Jesus Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and asked them. He saved them, right? He, he pulled them out of the waters and then brought him the friendly reminder. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt? Listen to how, how merciful the Lord was and even how respectful he was. Because he, 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 he was able to give Peter a diagnosis, an assessment saying, Peter, you need to work on your faith. You need to, you know, step it, step it up a bit more. And some of us in today's day and age, we, we need to step it up a bit more in our prayer, in our obedience, in our commitment, but above all, in our faith with God. Thank God that Jesus was able to see at least some little faith in Peter. It would have been worse if Jesus would have said to Peter, what happened with your faith? You just completely eradicated your faith. Perhaps that would have been a a different situation. Again, it's just a a point of speculation. That could have been a different, a, a different turnaround or a different dialogue, but he was able to still address to Peter. Hey, you have faith, it's it's running running on low, but do something about it. Do something about your faith. And here's the thing about, about us, brothers and sisters in Christianity, or better yes, as followers of Jesus Christ, it is up to us. It depends on us to what level we want our faith to be. It's not based on you know, don't put the responsibility upon your brothers and sisters. Don't put the responsibility upon your pastors, upon the leadership. No, we're, we're, we are not accountable to your faith. Everyone needs to be accountable for themselves and their faith. It's, it's something that, that, is, that is needed in today's time, especially the things that we are going through as a nation we have to be accountable to our faith. For example, right now, um, when I was coming back from Honduras on, on the plane back to Los Angeles, there was a lady next to me in which, you know, respectfully, uh, um, yeah, I, I was being cordial uh, and and just, you know, she was a, a lady up in age already and, and I, I guess she needed help with her luggage and stuff like that. And But then we entered into a, a conversation. And um, in the conversation, I, I said, you know, she asked me, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm I'm a pastor. And also when it comes to freelance, I, I take photos. I'm a photographer. But it caught her interest that 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 she's that she was sitting next to a pastor in my case. Right. And so we were just talking, you know, having a rare conversation. And I asked her, do you know about God, about Christ? She goes, yes, I do. I'm a I'm a believer. Uh, I know who Jesus Christ is, the, the Lord, and I have relatives and friends who are also believers. But I personally don't 
and, and she had the, the audacity to tell me the following. I didn't ask her the, the, the question, but she just wanted to throw it at me, I guess, for don't know what her motive was. But she goes, I'm just a person that I don't go to church. Like, I don't I don't I don't believe in going to church. I don't believe in participating with the congregation, etc. I just believe in God and I'm okay with that. And I have accepted salvation, but I just don't go to church. And I go, hmm, how interesting. But that person, when she said that, that, per- that person is a representation of, of many people in which they know about Christ. They know that they are married to Christ, but they just choose not to uh, dialogue or or be in intimacy with Christ. For for example, it's when, when someone gets married. When someone gets married with their spouse, significant other, I mean, the whole point of marriage is to engage with one another. Uh, not just not just in a physical form, but also in an emotional, spiritual, and and just, you know, have communion with your significant other. So, I mean, someone who gets married and let's say the husband chooses to be in marriage, but chooses not to go home with his wife. It's it's completely ludicrous or vice versa. Let's say uh, a woman gets married and she's married with this significant other, but then she just decides not to live with her husband, you know, at home. That's just ridiculous. I mean, same principle applies when you accept Christ, you are, you are married to the Lord, the, the church, the, which is the bride. It's, it needs to be in a covenant with the Lord, needs to be in communion with the Lord. And so part of that acceptance of salvation you know, also comes the package of being also in communion, sharing the same common faith with fellow believers and congregating so that we as a church could grow collectively and, and, and just make our relationship much more dynamic with Christ. And so when, when, that, when that comment came to me, I said, wow, it's very unfortunate that, that you know who Christ is, but you settle for less and you choose not to engage in, in a time of communion, of intimacy with Christ. And so if you are, married to Christ, if you are married, if you are part of this beautiful gospel, I mean, it's ludicrous to say, to say, you know, what? I just accept salvation, but I don't want to work on my sanctification. It's completely nonsense. It doesn't, doesn't add up. And so there are many people who are in that position. Now, why do I bring this up? That and many other things that I could also address, but what, what I want to go back to is, it's important to nourish our faith. Nourishing our faith is requires commitment with Christ. Nourishing our faith requires to be in dialogue with Him. Nourishing our faith is to is is to put our our conversation, our dialogue with God into good works, and that's how we build our faith. That's how we grow in faith. And, and that's how we are able to nourish our inner being so that we don't lack any, so that we don't lack nothing whatsoever when hardships arrive in our lives. And so Jesus told Peter, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be wrapping this up, finishing this conversation with you today, uh, this moment, and says, you who have so little faith, why did you doubt? You know, I, I just see how the Lord reminds Pete, reminded Peter and also reminds all of us today. I'm not here pointing figures at a certain group, certain person tonight. No, this is this is just out there for all of us. Take it or leave it. But it's amazing how the Lord gives us those friendly reminders and says, hey, we we need to step. You need to step it up. You need to, you know, follow up with with your faith. And um, brothers and sisters, we have that responsibility, not the person next to you, not not the people in, in leadership with you, nor your coordinators, nor your pastor. No, we all individually have to follow up, 
with our walk with God and also with our nourishment in our faith with with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ali, I, I want to finish with the following saying. Do you want to continue nourishing your life with faith or with fear? Fear shuts many doors. Fear actually intentionally makes the hand of God not work in your favor. You condition the, 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 the Lord's hand upon your life. For example, there's a passage that says that due to the, the, the disbelief, the unbelief of, of many people in that community, the Bible says that Jesus stopped performing miracles because of their unbelief. And so fear is able to neutralize. Fear is able to make your faith become spiritually sterile. And you don't want to be there. You don't want to take that route. But faith, say with me, faith allows me to act upon a virtue called couragement that is authorized by the sun and allows me to walk upon the impossibilities of life allows me to go beyond beyond a level that I never imagined myself to be in. Couragement is what the Lord gives to his people. Couragement is a weapon. It's a key. And, and if it's been authorized by our Lord Jesus, take full advantage of it. You have nothing to lose, but everything to gain, brothers and sisters. So I leave it up to you. Faith or fear? Which direction you want to go? But I suggest you take faith, which is a win-win scenario for you and for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's do a, a prayer and then we'll finish up today's conversation. Father God, thank you for this hour. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for allowing us to be connected this hour, Lord.